Hello guys, welcome back. Uh, I have my friend uh, Isaiah here, a wonderful guest, and we, um, we are going to talk about politics and economics today, but specifically we're going to address um, how economic uh, systems can be seen differently. Um, so we'll start out with Isaiah explaining what kind of his views of the term socialist means, why he uses it to identify, and what does it mean to be a socialist in America versus you know another country. Yeah, so... Um yeah, I, I describe myself as a socialist, um, specifically not a communist or an anarchist, and I'll get to like the specific reasons why, none of those. Um, but in essence, socialism would be the transference of the production, like a value, um, like corporations or businesses or like even individual factories, as a uh, sort of democratic ownership to the workers themselves. So that would, uh, that would take the shape of like, you know, let's say there's a factory and there's 100 people that work there. Um, there would still be bosses, but they would be like elected among the workers. And if they, the collective feels that they are not performing at the level they should at, then, or that level they should be, um, they can get like voted out or like changed in. And so I think that that like um, equal like equal process of incorporating everyone that is working to make the value um, have a say in where it goes is okay. like uh not only possible but like essential um and so i say specifically socialist i'm not, I'm not a communist because that is a step further to believe in a society without uh hierarchy class or hierarchy through you know class um or monetary like you know in no currency no hierarchy and no borders and it would be like a kind of like a world system um and i'm just not read enough i guess i don't like completely understand the transitionary period and so mm. for that reason i'm a socialist and then anarchism is its own <laughs> school of thought that i'm not well versed in okay so there's a lot of questions that i that come across my mind when somebody says socialist um so i'll try to frame and i and i want to be honest in the way i frame them because i don't want it to be like fox news talking points right like i want so when i ask you them no it's genuine it's not like to trap you to be like i got you like i, I genuinely have them and one of the ones that always comes across my mind is when it comes to collectivized firms two, two two questions i have one what about workers that don't necessarily want to be in the political side so like they just want to go in nine to five maybe they don't love their job maybe they don't want to talk about management and they just kind of want to do the factory line like this is my job and get out do they still have a vote or do they, can they voluntarily give up their vote or, you know, how, how does that kind of play out? Um, so there are different like points of view on this. Some people believe in um, mandatory like um, participation. Okay. And I, I think if a worker really doesn't care, then that, that it's fine for them to abstain from voting in my personal view. Um, okay. However, what you were saying about some people just not enjoying their jobs, mm -hmm. um, one reason or one big contributing factor to like most people just kind of hating their jobs or just like doing it to get money is like a, an alienation from your labor and from any sense of like, you know, ownership of it. Okay. And so I think that a, a more direct like ownership of what you're producing would intrinsically get people more invested and engaged with their work. Okay. Um, on top of the fact that you could would likely be receiving more compensation for your work um, as it's dictated by you right. to some degree. Um, so I think if you were still relatively unengaged, then there's no problem just like not, you know, abstaining from voting if you don't right. really care. But I feel that like the, the urge to care would 
would be strong. So more people would probably just care because one, they're probably getting paid more. Yeah. They're probably getting paid more relative to their other workers. So there's no sort of sense of jealousy. And you think that the value in their product will go up because they feel as though they control not only just the production of it, but the marketing of it, how it's portrayed to society, things like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And even if like the, like you, your, your firm is literally not making like a higher profit, um, a, a elimination of a lot of like, kind of corporate oversight yeah. would provide, you know, increase profit for the workers and, you know, likely would feel a, a greater sense of like, you know, like accomplishment, even if you are just, you know, working at a factory or something. Right. Be like, oh, you know, I'm like controlling what I'm doing. Right. So yeah. There's a sense of freedom in that. Yes. Yes. Okay. It's a, like democratization of the workplace. Right. That's how I've heard it framed before. Yeah. And then my second question that always comes up is how so if you so this is socialism relative to a specific firm mm -hmm. so how do you think um so what what about on a broad scale so do you think it's the government's job to force firms to operate this way do you think this will naturally arise like some early philosophers think that this kind of would naturally arise without government having to involve do you think there should be laws in the book to make firms operate that w this way like how how does that play about like on an economic wide scale um i think it would only come about through uh pressure either by the workers themselves or the government okay. or um, uh, ideally in tandem like both of them okay i don't think this would ever naturally occur especially okay. under capitalism um, okay so for that reason i do think that there should be some sort of pressure applied to them I, okay. I, ideally as much as possible either by workers or um i would say i would say the government because in a like if you know the government were to become more um socially like or more organized in a more socialist way um, I think the government would work for the people. So obviously this is like, not literally the current government, but a socialist government pushing for this or uh, like unionized workers pushing for okay. um, firms to do this. Okay. Um, and in my opinion, I think that there should be laws to um, okay. kind of like ensure this would be the case, okay. uh, but not like, I don't think they should just like overnight, you know, you know, kill all CEOs and like distribute their money. I think it should be like a, a process of like- um, Almost like a continuous thing. Yeah, like a transition into that. Okay. Um, because I think it, it sounds like a harsh thing, uh, but like to like laws to like in, ensure this would happen. But I think once people would like get an experience of it, I think that they would be more uh, sympathetic to the, that like movement. Okay. So I think that it should be as fast as possible, but that is probably gradual. So. Okay. And then do you believe that this could happen like nonviolently? Because I know some like sort of capitalist philosophers think that if a socialist economy were to take place, the only way for it to take place would to be like for a violent overthrow. Do you think that this can happen? Like maybe pressure from like unions or something, but it's still nonviolent. Like you're not killing anybody, stuff like that. Um, I think it is possible to achieve progress peacefully as okay. it has happened. Okay. But I think that the progress will be incredibly slow and, um, uh, I think that there will also be more of a chance for it to be chipped away over time without some sort of struggle, violent struggle. And obviously, nobody wants that. Right. It's just like an unfortunate truth that people aren't going to give up power without that. Okay. Um, but it, it, it's a big it's a big debate actually in leftism. It's a um, revolution versus like reform. Okay. Or not reform, but like gradualism versus like revolution. Um, and a lot of people think that like slow progress would like in the long run 
be just as detrimental as like no progress because of the advances in society. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I do think that we should be like doing and fighting for everything we can now to get concessions for like working class people. Um, but I don't think like a quote unquote like true socialism can really be achieved without violence, which is unfortunate. But that's just like the current view. In the future, that might change. Hopefully. Because okay. I don't think anyone wants to fight, you know. I, no one wants to die fighting for a world that they're not going to like enjoy to live in. Right, so. right. Or enjoy, have freedom to partake in. Things yeah. Like that. Okay, that so makes sense. It's a hard pull to swallow, but I don't think like it would really be truly possible without some sort of struggle. Do you think it could happen in America or maybe only other Western, more quote unquote democratic countries like Germany, France, Switzerland, places like that? Uh, I think it can happen anywhere. Okay. Um, maybe not at this exact moment in time, <laughs> well, obviously, but I think like uh, the put like the possibility for it to happen anywhere is like uh, still like open. Okay. Um, what do you think about this? Is something I, I, that also crossed my mind. What do you think about uh, the role of the individual in this? So when, I, I mean this is as in, do you think the collective? Is the ultimate good, or do you think the individual is the ultimate good, or do you think both kind of they fit together in tandem? Like, how do you how do you kind of visualize the individual role in society versus society's role over the individual? Um, yeah, there's actually a big misconception about socialists that uh, the collective is the focus, and that like the collective good is going to be put before the individual good all the time. But I would dispute that, as I think they are more in tandem than people think, okay. and I think like. Uh, I think that it's a like a an interesting question because you know for example putting the collective good above putting the individual good would um, it, it would eliminate the possibility of people becoming like ultra wealthy um, and so some may argue like oh well those individuals that have that capability they would be like lacking the freedom to do that but like the freedom they would be lacking is like the freedom to um, abuse or exploit others <laughs> so I think that that isn't uh, really a freedom <laughs> I think it's right. like a privilege and so I think that the role of the individual would be um, the the most important thing in an aspect um, obviously like the collective movement is only comprised of individuals mm -hmm. um, so I think that it would it's all about like the individual okay um, so you still think there's a way to have heavy preservations for individual rights and freedom in a socialist economy um, I would argue that there would be more okay under a socialist economy due to the fact that um, I'll keep it quick. You know, in a like capital structure, um, you you work or you die, and um, because of that, you have to work. And I think that everyone should work. Um, but when you have to work or die, they can dangle like lesser and lesser rewards, right. diminishing marginal you. returns. Type yeah, of thing. in front of you. And so I think that like they're going to keep more of your time and get more of your productivity. As you've seen, or you know, like statistically, like work days and work weeks have gotten longer and longer mm -hmm. over time because they can stretch more and more of your time for their own profit. Mm -hmm. And so, I think in a more social society where the the, the gathering of wealth isn't the primary motivator, that um, there would be less of a of a serious focus on working all the time. And I think that that would allow for individuals to explore themselves more freely. Uh, there was a quote from Marx that was like. A man should like work in the, or should like read in the morning and critique in the morning and like you know work in the afternoon and hunt and fish in the evening and do all this. It's just saying like you should work and you like will work and you will contribute um, to like a firm or like greater society working in some way, but you should also 
have all, you should also be doing other stuff. Um, work is not the same thing as life. Yeah, well, work should be life, um, but you should like enjoy it or you should feel like more connected to it in some way. And you know, I'm not saying like everyone's gonna be like a creative writer, but like if you like are making pots or you know containers or something, um, if you have like more control over that, you're gonna feel like it's you, and so you're going to be like more connected to it. Mm. So I think that it should be integrated in life, and it should be less like it shouldn't be like you know my personal life and my work life like. Work should be separate from your personal life, but it shouldn't be like this crushing, alienating thing that you hate half right. the week, and then you hang out with your friends the other half and you enjoy it. It should right. be like you enjoy. It shouldn't it. be that polar difference. Yeah, I, I actually uh, part of the reason I wanted to ask you all this is I wanted to find areas where we agree, mm-hmm. because labels oftentimes make you think that you one hundred percent disagree or one hundred percent agree with the person, which yeah. is why labels are very ineffective. And I actually um, uh, I think that's extremely important. I think uh, picking a valuable career. Um, and by valuable, I mean true value, not valuable as in just money or you just have fun doing it. But like where you really see purpose in your work is fundamentally important. Yeah. So I uh, sympathize with a lot of um, kind of Marxists or socialists or whatever kind of label they, they individualize in, or they put on themselves. Because I think one of the biggest mistakes that societies make under a capitalist system is that they try to go towards the jobs with the most money and the most wages and end up living a worse life because of that. Exactly. They, yeah. They're not that like how many doctors don't really care about healing people, but you know you make two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, so it's like it's worth it. But at the end of the life, if you didn't really enjoy that, it wasn't a life well or worth living, in my personal opinion. Right. I agree. I agree. Um, so so that's why I uh, am very very career oriented, and I, I think a lot about what I want to do. Do I want to have two careers? Do I want to? How much do I want to work? Things like that. So I sympathize a lot like that. Now to shift more into modern day uh, kind of economic policy. I want to know your thoughts on modern day, mo- modern day uh, economic theory and monetary policy as far as like uh, um, the federal government having so much control over loan rates through like the Federal Reserve, the banking system, and how you think the banking system and specifically firms and corporations drives up inflation via things like corporate greed, overcharging on prices, et cetera, et cetera. Um. I, I remember you described yourself as like a classical liberal. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you know if you make that distinction, you're familiar with neoliberalism. Right, it started right. like under Reagan, right, such. Right. Um, and I think that the the neoliberalism that we still live under uh, is, you know, through like the government, um, you know, taking such actions is like uh, very harmful and very detrimental actually to uh, societal advancement. I would agree. <laughs> and um, your question about like controlling like loan interest rates and um banking in general like the thoughts on like banking um i personally find banking to be a, extremely exploitative and very okay. like um i mean yeah i guess just exploitative like you know seeking to take advantage of like vulnerable people and um as much so or it, to, maybe even to a degree more so than other firms and right. i think that the government um facilitates that very well <laughs> and I, I think because of that there's you know obviously a symbiotic relationship between like big business and government where big business props of government with like props of the government with like money and the government facilitates laws that like allow firms and stuff to extract more money from people and so i think that um i think that's bad <laughs> and i think that like banking it kind of sucks in america and i think that um a lot of the services they even provide are like just like 
you know, like playing like a, like trying to like walk through a, a field of traps. <laughs> and if you okay. make like one misstep, you're done for. Okay. Um, like taking out a loan that you probably can't pay back. Taking out a loan with too high of an interest rate. Yeah, like how they, uh, you know, they would go into communities that had like no financial literacy and then they would offer them like what they, what they propose are these crazy deals and these great loans and stuff. And then it just ends up like ruining their lives right. because they just didn't know better. And I think that's like, you know. Probably a bad idea for social advancement. Yeah. Well, bad idea if you want the standard of life to increase. So right. For that reason, I think it sucks. Okay. That, that's a very well thought out answer. What about the role of specific firms driving inflation due to corporate greed? Because this is a discussion that is like talked about a lot right now. I mean, with, with I mean, there's like a whole economic side to this, um, but there is a very high period of inflation right now. Well, relative to what Americans expect, right? There's other countries that go through ten, twelve percent, and we're on a current seven percent, so it's less than you know. It was up from places. like four percent, right? Yeah, it was up right. from like I think four and a half percent last year. So it was, so it is, it is high. And in, and the target inflation rate that the Fed sets is two and a half percent. So we're way over what the target <laughs> inflation rate is. Um, and like in the European Union, it's one point eight percent. So we're yeah. way, you know, much higher than what we expect. Uh, so what is your thought on how much of that is natural because of supply chain problems because of COVID? And how much of that is businesses just charging more money in a kind of a black and white, they just want more money? Um, you know, obviously, inflation is inevitable. It's always going to happen to some degree, be it like, you know, small or large. And I think even in a system like so, unless you have completely eliminated money in a communist society, which no one has ever attempted past primitive communism, um, even in a social society, there's still going to be money and there's still going to be inflation just because currency exists. Right. Um, but I do think, I believe that in the like modern day, um, the majority of like so-called inflation is price gouging that is like that is allowed pretty much um like i heard the number the other day i think it's like i think at this point like six mega corporations own like the vast majority of like businesses in america yeah it's six i literally just heard this on a podcast yesterday (laughs) yeah and so you know obviously they're not like you know there's not laws where it's like oh it's legal for all corporations to get together and raise prices but you know it's still like very evident that they do it just by the fact that like you look at their price increases they always match each other at the same time and mm-hmm. it's like they're obviously like you know in you know right some sort of collusion collusion yeah and so i think that uh most of what we call inflation today is um price gouging that is just <laughs> companies just raising their prices for no reason um without any i mean you know if if people on average were receiving more money, like if people felt the the effects of like a raising minimum wage right away, that might cause a little inflation. But I feel like the overwhelming majority of people aren't feeling any sense of like, oh, I'm getting more money. And so, you know, what would be you know causing the the inflation if there wasn't a, uh, a, a intense change in like supply of money or goods or services or uh, lack thereof? So. That's why I believe it is corporate price gouging. Also, okay. corporations are like, you know... They're incentivized to charge more. Yeah, and that's why they always will be like, you know, oh, we have to raise, you know, oh, minimum wage is making us raise the cost of our eggs by 50 cents a carton. And then you'll see at the same time they did that, like a month later, their CEO got a $1.2 million a year raise. Right. And so it's just things like that are very like obvious but they just like do such a, a good job of like concealing it from the average person i think people just like don't recognize it okay i have a much more kind of traditional economic view um but 
um, I, I do think a lot of what you're saying is right, and um, there's a lot of modern monetary policy, which is an economic research, which goes into the idea of um, how to control inflation. We have a much better control of it now than we ever have yeah. in the history. Like we, like in the 1980s, there was like 10% inflation years. In the 1970s, like there would be like overnight inflationary periods because of the price of oil. Um, yeah. So we have a much better understanding of it, whereas like in the 50s and 60s, it'd spike and the federal government would be like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> right? Like, I don't know why this is happening. Um, and nowadays, it's much more natural and much more controllable, um, which is why we have a target inflation rate at 2.5%. But Milton Friedman, a real famous economist, he's the one that gave us the target inflation rate at 2.5%. Yeah. Um, he, there's a school of thought that founded around the same time in the 1980s and after him, which is called behavioral economics. And it studies the subjective side of economics versus the objective side. So instead of looking at specific numerical values, using mathematical functions to analyze market equilibrium, things like that, um, they studied human behavior and how that affects the price of goods and things like that. And it's a great area of research. The 2020 or 2021, one of the one year the Nobel Prize was actually given to um, uh, uh, behavioral economists. And it's a really big area of academic research. And uh, it was it was given uh, – the Nobel Prize was given because of uh, – auction so they, they looked at the behavior of auctions and how auctions can change and they can influence the prices just purely psychologically so like just as a kind of uh, ad hoc example like um there can be like a 300 dollar painting you see in a store and you're like i'm not paying 300 for the painting but you see the same painting at an auction somebody bids 500 you immediately think it has 500 worth in bid value so you bid 550 you win the auction you pay 550 for a painting that if you would have had no social pressure in doing you weren't even willing to pay 300 for so like things like that behavioral economics um really kind of tries to study and value and one of the things they uh, have studied over the years and kind of proved in a social scientific sense is that expectation of inflation drives inflation. So if people are expecting prices to go up, they're already willing to pay more, and companies know this. So if the cost of goods of the company went up 3%, and a traditional economic viewpoint, they'd charge 3% more. Yeah. And then they'd, they'd break even. But uh, because companies know this, they'll charge 5% more, and people will just assume all 5% is due to natural inflation, what economists call natural inflation. And so they'll actually be overpaying for the product, even relative to inflation, than they were before. Yeah. But the companies only charge the prices higher in terms of uh, – at times of high inflation because if they did it and otherwise, the public might become suspicious. Mm -hmm. So if the market uh, of eggs only went up 2%, and then all of a sudden you go to the store and they're having you pay a dollar more, you're going to be like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But if it's already dur during terms of hyperinflation, people are going to assume for political reasons or for other reasons that this is just the way things are now. You're just going to have to pay more. And companies are willing to charge more and have been shown to do so in the 1990s and the 2000s during the Great Recession. There's been different time periods that because of inspected inflation, it, it, that itself drives inflation. Um, and uh, companies are doing that now. Um, because the expected inflation rate um, was expected to go up because a lot of – for a lot of political reasons, people expected to go up under Democratic presidents. There's like a whole other context for that. Um, and because there was a, a whole bunch of money printing going on during the, the, the recession to keep, to keep the economy afloat, um, people expected ex inflation to go up anyway. Uh, and then there's all this sort of Fox News talking about it's going to go up because Joe Biden's president now. And all, for all these factors and more – uh, the supply chain issue, all the, the news was portraying so much inflation that people have been willing to pay more. And actually, companies' profit margins, even accounting for inflation, are actually higher now than they were pre-pandemic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And 
Yeah, to me, it, it appears almost as more like a self-fulfilling prophecy. The whole like, you know, people expect inflation, so they'll pay more. Um, and companies will, like know that, like you said. Um, and yeah, the profit margins specifically, like a lot of them are higher than ever. And so, yeah, for those reasons, it is just a very like um, planned <laughs> between, and you know, like the government obviously partakes in the like allowing this. Right. So, yeah. What do you think about um? What do you think about the SEC, the Security Exchange Commission, and what do you think about Wall Street in general? As far as it is a good thing, is it a bad thing? Does it improve the wealth of the country? Are they really just trading financial assets that have no value? Is it a real market? Is it a fake market? Like all sorts of, uh, you know, what are your thoughts just, I guess, in general on Wall Street? Because they they widely vary amongst Americans. Well, I certainly think they do bring more wealth into the country, but I think that that wealth only goes to um, individuals within the stock market or within like Wall Street particularly. So I think that it's like, yeah, they definitely are generating value, but they're generating it by like, you know, harming developing nations typically. And they're like, all the wealth is going to uh, a small fraction of the wealthiest individuals that already, you know, make money. And yeah, this is like the story of like the individual here and there who is just like put all his money in stock and got, yeah, he was either really educated or they were super lucky and they received a bunch of money from it. But at that point, it's practically gambling. And so it's like, you know, for like a wealthier person on like Wall Street or like a billionaire, it isn't gambling because they are in some aspect in much more control of what happens to the stock market than like an average typical worker or consumer. So yeah, there's the random guy or gal here and there that like gets rich off stock. But I think it's like, it is incredibly unlikely. And so because of that, I think that it is an unfair, um, yeah, pretty much an unfair uh, like casino (laughs) that we have like been conditioned to believe is okay just because it's been around for a long time it's like drugs and alcohol drugs are illegal alcohol is not alcohol is super dangerous but we just grew up knowing it was legal right and it's like oh gambling's bad it like destroys families and stuff right um stock market just as bad um okay for the average individual in the nation um okay and normally uh and i mean and i want this to be an honest discussion so i'm not trying to say this is like a sort of like hook hook line most people yeah. kind of combat that and say even though the vast majority of returns go to the wealthiest Americans, the one imp- the one kind of factor in which the stock market impacts the average American is that's how retirement plans work, right? So like 401ks are matching, but Roth IRAs are in the stock market, right? So you put so much money every month in it, and then at the end of your 30 years, that's your retirement savings. So a lot of Americans worry about the stock market, even if they don't think it affects their bottom line, because they think that over time, in 30 years, the average growth of the market as a whole, if they have kind of a you know, a portfolio that's not one company but kind of spread out, and if the stock market as a whole goes up, then that means they'll be more wealthy as a retiree. So what are your thoughts on like that? Uh, I, I would consider retirement a part of healthcare. Okay. Um, and I think that healthcare should be uh, nationally administered. Okay. And so I think it should be like detra- or, um, detached from like a market. Okay. So that's why I just think it shouldn't be a market. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think it should be more of a guarantee. Okay, for... like sort of like Social Security, or do you have a different idea? Um, the, the exact, uh, I guess, like method for administration, yeah, I wouldn't have, I don't have like a, a super okay. in-depth like plan on for like, you know, my own thoughts on it. Um, but I guess just like spitballing, uh, it, it would be something similar um, well, you know, retirement plans are to help people, like, survive. Uh, right. And I, I believe that, like, any necessity to life should be 
detached from any market. Okay. Um, to the best of uh, society's abilities, like healthcare, uh, sustenance, like food and water, shelter, and, and shelter. Yeah, and then I guess, arguably, well, transportation. Okay. And arguably, communication in the modern day. Um, so I, I think those things being like subsidized and provided by a uh, a federal system to everyone would kind of like almost eliminate the need for like a retirement fund. Okay. Um, and that you could still like have that obviously. Um, like you could still save money because in socialism there still is a wealth disparity. Right. Like in currency. Yeah, it's just not so severe that like the lowest people are dying. It's like everyone, like the the highest standard of life, like ultra billionaires would decrease. They wouldn't have you know like. 70 odds and, but like the lowest quality of life which is experienced by like a, a far more people would raise to like a right. certain level that is like sustainable yeah like you know your life doesn't suck <laughs> and so right. um I, there was like a wealth disparity and so if you wanted to save for retirement to buy that like sports car or whatever uh that's totally fine still um but i also find that in a, a more socialist society there probably wouldn't be a stock market as we recognize it um but yeah obviously there's like many components to socialism so implementing one without anything else would it would appear a little wonky but yeah mm. in, in conclusion i think that the stock market um would i think that like retirement stuff should be like uh detached from that okay and at least in the current you know like at least a start <laughs> would be that okay and uh, uh, we're going to take a quick break, um, and then when we'll be back, we'll, uh, we can talk about uh, what we had planned next. Okay.